0: This is Audio Gan, and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. In episode number 220 with Roosh Bhatt, he said, a sculptor knows his or her medium, which is say marble, mud, or a stone. An architect knows what kind of material he or she wants. Uh, similarly, a product designer should know how to code, design, and write copy, which are the core ingredients of uh, creating software. Today, we have a guest uh, who's a perfect blend of understanding materials and implementing it in her practice. Sagarika Suri, a practicing architect and urban designer in Mumbai. She practices small and large-scale projects through Studio Tessera, uh, based in Mumbai, and dabbles with materials at Rock, Paper, Scissors. It's a material lab for studio to experiment with ideas and concepts at a small scale. Sagarika is also a part of CSA, which is a collective for spatial alternatives, and has been engaged in self-development and low-cost housing projects in Mumbai. Uh, More about her in the show notes. Uh, Just a small call-out, which is uh, AudioGAN typically has three formats, AudioGAN interviews, case studies, and biographies. In case study, we generally go deep dive uh, into one project, one problem statement, one solution. Uh, And with Sagarika, I'm hoping to cover rock, paper, scissors as a case study. So yeah, welcome Sagarika to AudioGAN. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show and thanks for giving your time.
1: Hi, Kedar. Thank you so much for that introduction
0: and for having me on the show. Awesome. So as I sort of had a call out, which is uh, a case study on rock, paper and scissors and obviously understanding your practice and work. But uh, mainly, I was very interested in understanding the kind of material exploration that you do and have come up with few questions. So I'll start off with uh, the first one, which is kind of going to set the background also is to what does what does material mean to you I mean uh, and and typically as we sort of get more experience and and it the definition keeps changing or evolving with time. so yeah if you can start there that what does material mean to you uh, it could be at a philosophical level at a tactical level at whatever wherever you want to start off with your understanding.
1: Thank you for that uh, question, Kedar. <laughs> so, I mean, material is a lot of excitement for me right now. I think with my uh, uh, current practice, I'm sort of rediscovering uh, materials in a way. And I feel like I'm back up, back in like a startup uh, uh, mode. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, materials is by definition tied to uh, crafting and making. And architecture and objects, uh, they are created from materials. And I mean, materials have like, you know, they are a a profound part of the experience of buildings and objects. Uh, So for me as well, based on the type of craft that I've engaged in, material is very much about uh, making and uh, crafting. However, more recently, it has taken on a a sort of larger meaning. um, And it has become a, a medium. Uh, to express and validate an ethos and so more and more i feel like a material for me cannot exist outside of a value system you know so like uh, up until recent years you we've had this kind of linear uh, cradle to grave uh, system uh, which has dominated production and consumption where you have raw materials which are extracted and then they are transported to uh, manufacturing units and then they are kind of made into products and then they have those products are shipped around the world and then they are used for, you know, small durations of time and then sort of thrown away. And obviously there is a limit uh, to the system because we are running out of uh, natural raw materials. And uh, this this sort of linear, uh, you know, what we call like a make, uh, take, make, waste uh, culture, it's it's also being critiqued uh, all around us. And a more s- cyclical approach is being adopted. And uh, I feel that materials, uh, they lie at the core of this shift Um, and like giving importance to materials sort of allows us to reconsider this philosophy of design from the very bottom up. Um, And I think uh, within this shift, a new type of practitioner is also emerging, a designer, um, ecologist, a social scientist of sort. uh, a more aware practitioner who's embracing sustainability, but also looking at, uh, you know, social and ecological interconnectedness. I mean, the buzzwords are, you know, being ecologically conscious and, and you know, social equity. These, I mean, you can't ignore these uh, in your des- design practice anymore. And I myself completely aspire to that kind of uh, practice. And I feel that material has become like a very important partner in that uh, aspiration. Uh, So I Mm. would say that, you know, aside from the kind of physical creations that uh, material allows us, uh, and that there's always, of of course, so much excitement in that, uh, in those tangible objects, uh, it's also become a a primary mode, I think for for experiment and validation of that uh, ethos. Um, And I think at this point, uh, material has to be chosen very correctly for me in my practice because I feel it can have a, a negative impact one of the materials that I've been working closely with uh, and in great detail is a waste uh, plywood uh, that's come out of my you know own architecture and interior design uh, uh, practices and it's sort of helped create a brand identity and a manifesto of sorts um, it's used you know so much in our own projects uh, that I, I feel like I'm creating that plywood waste, in a way, uh, which I end up then using for experiments and uh, for making products, and in a way, I, you could say that I I did not choose the plywood consciously; it almost sort of uh, you know chose me. Mm. So that's 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 how it's been with material recently. I didn't wow, point
0: interesting. So. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, no, so when you when you said in the beginning uh, that more of making, so is it is it sort of if I have to draw an analogy that typically when you start, you are more interested in like an immediate output. So you try and play around with that material. But eventually with time, with experience, you go so deep into understanding that material that then you, you uncover or explore like a more deeper layers of it to uh, understand. Is that like a correct reading?
1: I think with plywood, if I was to, uh, you know, take that example, the the final products have almost been uh, secondary in the kind of experiments that we've been uh, doing. It's been more about understanding the material in a greater detail and how to take those scrap pieces of plywood and Uh, you know stick them together and what happens to the grain uh, when you stick it in this way or that way and then when you process it in a certain way uh, that the products have been uh, not I won't say incidental but they've been more kind of secondary to that process of uh, understanding uh, plywood in uh, great detail and I think that approach we've kind of carried forward to other material uh, that we have then you know uh, experimented with uh you know
0: got, since it. Flyboard. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. got it so so i'll i'll i have like bunch of questions around that in the later part but uh just to sort of uh have more introduction is that why do you or how do you see a designer knowing the material uh helps like how important it is for a designer to know his or her medium like that uh, what are you doing with uh, plywood uh, is in the follow-up one. But if you can, again, as a introduction or a starter, is that what is rock, paper, scissors, and why did you start it?
1: So like you mentioned in the introduction, it's uh, basically a material laboratory. Uh, and I have an architecture and interior design studio in Bombay called uh, Studio Tessera. And we started Rock, Paper, Scissors around 2018 alongside the architecture studio. Uh, we moved into a new studio space in Bandra and uh, we wanted to design a sort of uh, collage of knobs on the main door. Uh, and uh, quite a lot of plywood waste uh, had been generated uh, in the refurbishment of the you know new studio and we sort of uh, saw this waste and decided to make like uh, a knob out of it. And mm-hmm. uh, so that was like the first kind of uh, you know the first uh, ex- first kind of object uh, that came uh, came that sort of led to the formation of a rock paper scissor and then that first experiment was very rewarding, and uh, then we moved on to more ambitious uh, pro- objects and processes with uh, the waste uh, plywood. So, and since since the those first experiments, like plywood, sort of became a gateway to other materials, and uh, organically, the the design practice has developed a kind of a workshop studio format um, in which the material lab. Uh, setup sort of facilitates a deeper understanding of the um, materials that we are encountering in our larger practice. Um, It also sort of allows uh, hands-on experiments and we are able to make small-scale objects in the lab, which which really helps to satisfy our curiosity with the materials. So, uh, of course, as architects, you are Familiar uh, with building materials, but this hands-on approach really provides uh, an in-depth, you know, understanding. I feel. Uh, Plus, these uh, small-scale objects, their lead times are much shorter as compared to uh, the longer timelines that we encounter in uh, architecture and interior design projects. You know, they last for, they take much longer to complete. So that Mm. that that's very satisfying to be able to hold. and test a finished product uh, in those short durations of time. And that satisfaction comes uh, you know, uh, slower and fewer times with architecture uh, with bigger pro- projects. Um, so that's been a very uh, you know, nice, rewarding uh, thing from Rock, Paper, Scissors. Um, and uh, another thing I feel is this kind of feedback loop uh, that c- that's created between the two scales. Um, between the products that we are making uh at Rock, Paper, Scissors and the projects that we are doing at Studio Tessera, the the objects they uh, they find a place in the projects, uh and the projects they become sort of testing grounds for these materials and products. Uh and, you know, hopefully they end up informing and improving each other. Mm. And like I w- and like I was saying, uh, you know, with the idea of material, um, I'm realising more and more that Uh, you know, the best way or the most accessible way to talk about what you believe in, um, I think might be through, as designers, might be through this product or small scale. Uh, Because in these larger uh, projects, there's a lot of, uh, what should I call it, like erosion that happens uh, because of, uh, you know, larger factors which are not maybe in your control, like your client or your budget or your, you know, your BMC and uh, with smaller objects there is much more control so it sort of enables me to put out my uh, you know ideology I think more uh, clearly or uh, this this lab uh, and it, it also like it makes me kind of fine-tune it uh, continuously in that process.
0: Hmm. Quite interesting and and it it sort of the next question which I had was actually you have answered it, but uh, as in, in a sense that the ideology itself, like the material itself should sort of project or demonstrate the ideology and that becomes the core uh, in the practice. Uh, but uh, from your research uh, on materials, just take up, I'm just breaking this question into two parts is that like. What are you trying to achieve? Or is there an output while playing with this uh, different materials? Or is it sort of just exploration or you want to see it fit in something? Is it guided by some constraint? Is it guided by some brief or it's very open ended kind of exploration?
1: I think it's a bit of uh, all these uh, things uh, co- combined we're definitely interested in understanding the materials in much more uh, uh, detail so we are you know constantly experimenting with the processes we're tweaking or uh, you know tweaking assemblies or when we're working with things where there is uh, there are ingredients involved like concrete or resin experiments we are kind of looking at what can happen at that level And so, you know, what are the breaking points of this material? Uh, How sustainable can it be? So so all that definitely is uh, very important. And so even our explorations, they range from like small isolated details to, uh, like you said, like completed objects. So sometimes it might be an object that we're thinking of and that might inform the way we are experimenting uh, with the material. But at the same time... uh, I think the use of these materials uh, has become an experiment in kind of a more uh, circular, or sustainable design practice. I think this is because maybe our starting point was with the waste plywood material and that sort of, mm. you know, catapulted the whole uh, process. So the way we choose to research and experiment with the materials we are looking at uh, sustainability and we're looking at it in in kind of two ways uh, is is what I've un- I kind of understood is basically like we're looking at environmental impact uh as well as the idea of transformation uh by design so you know we what we've started as uh, these modest experiments with upcycling the waste plywood from our own projects i think we could we could potentially scale that up and we, we are already in that process, you know, by collecting waste from other sites, uh, from fabricators, even plywood manufacturing units. And uh, I mean, we're hoping, you're, you're thinking that this acquisition of waste and processing then can be expanded to other materials, uh, waste materials uh, coming out of, uh, you know, construction sites. Um, so that would be like that environmental impact, and the idea, of course, is then uh, to take these materials and to explore various ways of uh, processing them uh, to add finesse and uh, you know beauty uh, to these uh, materials and create products which remove that association from waste. I think that's very critical, and that's what I mean mm. by the idea of transformation by design. And what we're hoping to create is. Uh, you know, objects of desire almost, uh, which are valued and they are made out of waste, but they are valued so much, maybe hopefully that they are passed on. And that in a sense also adds, uh, you know, uh, adds to their sustainability uh, as upcycled objects.
0: Got it. But but sorry to interrupt. uh don't Sort of, you're doing In a sense, uh, I, I I had the fortune to interview B.V. Doshi, uh, lead B.V. Doshi, uh, and where I asked him that has RCC sort of changed the landscape? To he to that, he almost sort of, in his style, almost sort of <laughs> told me that nah, 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 it's not like that. It is just a material. See Japan, how they have done. See other places. So don't don't blame the material or don't even think about the material Uh, It's finally what you create out of it, right? So, is there a tussle inside the studio that we are focusing on the material, but there is something... I mean, material is finally the means, right? Uh, For for making something. So, what happens or if you can just as a follow-up one?
1: (laughs) I don't know. I I, I feel like... uh materials and this is a little bit new uh for me where as architects you're always like your your materials are very much a part of your practice uh mm-hmm. but for me this kind of these kind of scale experiments are just like it's like a like a going into a mall almost and like i i have an interest because of now these experiments i am like keenly interested in all sorts of uh, materials but like i mentioned the choice of materials has become a little Uh, I'm more sensitive to what I'm choosing uh, to experiment uh, with Uh, Mm. but it is more about the material for me if I'm to delve a little deeper and and then subsequently about what I am making with it I the opposite has not uh, the opposite happens in the architecture practice of course but in the material lab it's more you know sometimes you're uh we, like we were making this uh ceramic mural uh, for a project and uh, we decided to make like a miniature of that in uh, in terrazzo uh, concrete uh, uh, tiles. um so it, it, in that sense that it was easy to translate that geometry uh, with that uh, material and it was fun but it was also about i mean i think at that point we wanted to experiment with concrete we wanted to try mm. to see how small we could go with it and how we could, uh, you know, shape it or form it and with hands-on experience uh, experiments. Uh, mm. So even though we were looking at a ceramic, we we decided to experiment that with uh, that geometry with the the uh, the concrete, the micro concrete. So it's I think it's it's a little more about the material than uh, the final product. Maybe that that will change uh, mm. going ahead. Uh, and with plywood, for sure, it's it's like. Uh, Abhi, we have kind of uh, mastered the act of like uh, assembling the plywood and then turning it on the laser. what all can we make with it? You know, that process uh, is driving the uh, the experiments with material. It's it's not the vice versa yet. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. it's it's uh, and as you mentioned, it started in 2018. Uh, more uh-huh. uh, in a more focused and I think. Like paying more attention to it so yeah it will sort of grow it's organically as as uh, you value where it is coming from on that note in fact i wanted to ask is like what are like are there any parameters or any framework uh, or any guiding principles on which you evaluate material or as you said you are in a shopping mall but sometimes you you have a budget of say uh, like the money is the constraint, or or certain things. So, any any guiding principles you guys have arrived at? Uh, I know you spoke about it in the beginning, which is sustainability. But any more nuances to it?
1: I wouldn't go so far as to say that there is obviously a you know you prefer certain materials to other uh, to other materials as you you know as a designer. But um, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say that one material is good or bad. But one way to evaluate uh, materials, I think, is through, uh, through you know what what they call a life cycle assessment. Um, so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's kind of again it's it's coming back to sustainability. But it's it's like the environmental impact the material has across the different stages of its life. So from growth uh, or you know the formation of the material to its extraction. Uh, then you know how you are manufacturing it, then the transportation, uh, then its usage, uh, and of course its end of life uh, stages. You know, like when and how it is uh, thrown away. Uh, can it be recycled? Uh, how how does it degrade? Um, so I mean, uh, for example, like if you look at a material like wood or uh, say rosewood, um, you could consider uh, it to be a sustainable material because it's a renewable material it's uh, biodegradable um, and there is a large amount of uh, carbon sequestration that happens during its uh, you know its lifetime sometimes uh, you know couple of centuries uh, plus because these products that are made out of uh, rosewood they are highly uh, valued products uh, they have a long life uh, uh, like instruments or furniture they are you know there's a lot of carbon offset that happens and there's generally a embedded value of care and repair uh, that is associated with these uh, objects you know so it's plus it can be recycled uh, or turned into biofuel Uh, but of course we know that there is a caveat right like with rosewood it's uh, it's a rosewood uh, extraction and logging is at a very high ecological cost. it causes like immense damage to habitat. Uh, These trees, these hardwood trees, they grow very slowly, but there is a huge demand in countries like China. And then uh, I I was reading recently that it's one of the most trafficked forms of of flora fauna in the world ever. Um, Mm. And uh, Mm. yeah, and so there's so much, even there's even violence and social cost associated uh, with rosewood, Uh, you know, extraction. So, uh, so you know, it's what I'm trying to say is that there is, uh, there is no absolute measure for evaluating uh, a material. There tend to be these contradictions that are there within, uh, you know, even when you're looking at sustainable, renewable materials, uh, there will always be these kind of uh, uh, con- contradictions. Um, so, so another way to evaluate materials could be more contextual and based on what leads uh, the project uh you know so it could be the physical properties uh of the material like it's for example its strength or I mean if you want an impermeable material or something or it could be more um nuanced like uh you know social socioeconomic uh, aspects uh you know related to a particular uh, uh time again, another example that you know I, I was reading about these uh, transformer toys, the history of transformer toys, and um, uh, what stood out to me was these tin toys, which were manufactured in Japan, uh, in the years after uh, World War II. So, uh, under U.S. occupation, Japan was given the you know given the right to uh, produce these tin toys. And interestingly, the material uh, for these toys they found in these discarded uh, tin cans uh, that had been left behind at um, military uh us military bases all those tomato and meat cans and all that and these mm-hmm. uh, these tin cans they became like uh, you know they became instrumental in creating these really wonderful in the typical japanese style these beautiful unique toys with these sophisticated mechanics um uh, you know that we they, that have become like these art objects now and mm. uh, eventually they uh, the tin was kind of replaced by plastic uh, and there were other issues with it, which, uh, you know, so it was no longer an ideal material. But in that post-war time, post-World War time, when Japan was reeling under economic distress, this this discarded tin sort of provided this highly valuable uh, material, right, which was abundant. It was easy to manipulate uh, and, you know, uh, was able to create the socioeconomic uh, benefits. But again, like the rosewood, if you were to evaluate it uh, under other parameters, you know, tin might not score so well. It's uh, like most metals, it's like, uh, it's not the most sustainable uh, to mine tin. Uh, it's non-renewable. Actually, tin is a relatively better material. But, you know, you know, the point I'm trying to make is that it's it's there's always like these uh, contradictions when you're evaluating a material. So... Um, so I guess what these examples illustrate is that there is um, there are these set of lenses uh, that you might have to look at uh, use in order to uh, say if a material is you know to evaluate a material. And I guess mm-hmm. as designers, we can only make informed choices. I think that becomes
0: yeah. uh, mm-hmm. critical. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, yes, there will always be trade offs uh, of what to use when. I think um, from after all these conversations with architects, uh, recently with Vinu Daniel, uh, long ago with uh, Sumi Padora, I think one safe bet is that in local area mein jo hai in the radius of 10 to 15 kilometers, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's a safe bet where because, uh, udar se can source Karo uh, and rest all is up to multiple other like con client and what's the budget <laughs> yeah yeah interesting so, and and you have also engaged with repurposing reusing waste um so any like if you can tell us like what's the dominant material that you have been using um is like i have a follow up uh, on that which is the most versatile material but yeah uh, like any any thoughts on plastic or your engagement with waste, and any nuances or any learnings that you want to share with respect uh, to uh, repurposing and reusing? Yeah.
1: So uh, plastics, we've not uh, we've we've experimented a little bit with the acrylic waste that has come out of our sites and we've tried to kind of ply it with the plywood and then turn it, and it had its. Uh, uh there were some challenges uh, because it's a smooth material was uh, you know as compared to uh, plywood uh but we've not really delved into plastics uh, so much we've we've gone into other materials like we've worked with paper quite a bit uh we've uh, we've worked with resin to some extent and concrete and we're looking at glass now like recycled repurpose uh, glass as well and uh, I mean to answer your question about uh, versatility. I mean, I guess it will obviously depend on the material, the properties of the material itself. But I think it also depends on who is working uh, with the material and for what, uh, uh, you know, purpose uh, they are they are using the material. Um, so what I mean is that um, you know um, it it will depend on. The properties uh, or capacities of the material but also on the knowledge system or the tools of the the person who is using it so is it a designer or you know or a scientist or a, a chemist or a crafts person who is using the material so what they are able to kind of do with the material then is very different that you know that changes um I think it also depends a little bit on uh, what point of the life cycle of the material you interact with it. Uh, That has different affordances. Like if you're taking virgin raw material or you're taking it at some point of processing, uh, you know, uh, after it's been processed to some degree or or like for the in the case of the plywood, you're kind of interacting with the material after it has become waste. Uh, That will also affect uh, the versatility and uh, like i mentioned the broader goals i think become very uh, important like are you trying to like you were asking earlier are you trying to just kind of play around with the material to push boundaries and see what what's happening with which which is something we are quite interested with or are you looking to make a particular specific product right and then uh, with a very specific function um so so as a so like uh, you know as a personally as a designer uh, i am engaging with plywood like i said at its wastage uh and i'm using uh woodworking tools to do this in a in a workshop and i'm also using the lathe machine and my aim is basically to push the boundaries of that plywood to some extent in terms of scale smallness and largeness um and you know to try to create beauty uh out of a pro- uh, product uh, sorry out of a material which is Otherwise, you know, considered more utilitarian or it's normally hidden. Um, So, I do find certain versatility in that plywood waste. It affords me certain control uh, in the kind of uh, projects, uh, you know, that I I use it in and uh, based on the the toolkit I have. Uh, But a a material scientist might approach the plywood waste in a very different way. They might pulverize it or make a pulp out of it and then, you know, pour it into molds or something. And that versatility would be quite uh, different. Um, so, I mean, I, I can talk about the work of, uh, you know, this, uh, the, the iconic practice of, uh, you know, Neri Oxman, um, mm-hmm. which, which she calls, uh, you know, material ecology. Uh, you know, she's kind of uh, looking at these, making these biocomposites, uh, right? And she's uh, she's combining a whole bunch of disciplines, uh, to do this, uh, from computational design to 3D printing uh, with robots and uh, uh, what is it called, synthetic biology, amongst other things, and she's working with a very team of uh, specialists, right, for this, like architects and biologists and zoologists and and depending on the project, and she's able to then hyper engineer these materials uh, which are originally synthesized uh, in nature. You know, uh, so this Agua Hoya project uh, that she has uh, done, she's basically taken uh, materials which are found in exoskeletons of uh, insects and, you know, human bones or uh, tree branches, uh, the, the, mm. these components like the cellulose or pectin um, and things like that. And she's a- she's able to engineer it uh, into a more versatile uh, Building materials with which he's able to make architectural environments, and these they've kind of experimented with a bunch of uh, artifacts which are uh, which are environmentally responsive. Uh, so we know that these materials in nature they are quite versatile because they are able to uh, like they they have. They point out that, you know, they are able to create a whole range of things in nature uh, which with different performances. But to take it and to synthesize it to create uh, these man-made uh, objects out of their natural materials, it requires a certain, uh, you know, a science, a certain uh, environment and a certain amount of research and, of course, a certain intent. So so what I'm trying to say is basically it's difficult, like, like the evaluation of material. Uh, I think Mm. it's uh, it's difficult to pin down on the versatility. It 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 really does depend on these different uh, variables, or who's uh, using the material and for what purpose. um, Yeah, and of course, how the Mm. material is.
0: Correct. I think it's very fascinating because it's it's a process, and you see it becoming uh, something with your hands on. Sort of dabbling with it and and see it transforming with every experiment with with time passing by. So the follow-up one is then how do you investigate like a short-term uh, response of the material to what you're trying to make with do with it versus like a long-term implication because long-term could be like really long-term, right? You you can't really have oh, like, how will it react after 100 years or how will it react after 50 State. years? So State. any any thoughts there? If if you can give an example, especially with plywood, um, my my max interaction has been that IKEA ke MDF is just like, you can't reuse it again. Once you <laughs> assemble a bed, uh, you have to change your house. It's pretty much getting a new one. While... Every uh, I guess is ten year warranty uh, okay. but <laughs> so uh, like how do you sort of investigate like a short-term impact or short-term response of the material or or implications of that material versus long term? So uh,
1: I think here also this idea of life cycle uh, sort of uh, comes back, right like you have to assess uh, the performance of a material, I think like you're saying the long term and the short term it has to be judged over over its life cycle so some materials would have like a higher environmental cost in, in the beginning of their life cycle like when you're extracting the material it's like very energy intensive or when you're manufacturing uh you know products out of it uh like for example uh a good example is uh cast iron cookware you know so it's uh it's very, We you know, it's energy intensive to make it. And even iron, I don't know, like mining, it, it's, it causes quite a lot, lot of emission. But uh, in the long term, it's a highly durable material. It's, uh, you know, those cast iron towers. they are like passed on from mm. generation to generation. Like uh, they are in, you know, unbreakable they can be repaired, I mean, I've personally like managed to remove the rust and make them usable again if they have, you know, uh, gone bad. So, they can be recycled again and again. There is uh, also, I mean, generally, it's a nice material because uh, for cookware because it's also, you know, it adds value to the cooking process itself. So, in the long term, it's able to offset, you know, some of the environmental, high environmental costs incurred in the beginning of its uh, life cycle so i feel one sort of aspect is definitely like this mdf uh, might not be the the best material in the sense that you know how 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 often can you repair the material uh, is it is it possible to repair it uh, what is the amount of energy needed uh, to kind of uh, repair this material uh, so all this would kind of have an effect on the uh, you know long term uh, you know implications of the material uh, so mm-hmm. now, now now kind of talk uh, you know addressing the question for liquid ply, uh, for the plywood products now plywood is manufactured in such a way that it's done to maximize the use of wood from a single log right it's like kind of uh, made into these thin veneers uh, which are then uh, applied together they they do this cross graining to add strength to it the grain of the uh, the wood is turned uh, up to 90 degrees to kind of add strength to it Plus, it's made from wood, right? So, there's a lot of carbon sequestering that happens during the lifetime of the trees before they are converted into plywood. So, it's relatively sustainable. But the glue they use to ply uh, it has formaldehyde in it. And uh, most of the plywoods have used this glue. Some of them are now shifting to more uh, eco friendly glues. Uh, So, it cannot, it's not biodegradable, the formaldehyde, uh, because of the glue. Uh, and of course, there is the usual the, your energy consumption in transporting, uh, transportation in uh, in the processing of plywood. Uh, but in the long term, it's a strong and durable material, uh, unlike some of these other uh, engineered materials like MDF. Uh, mm-hmm. And it has a kind of a long li- uh, lifespan, right? And it can be recycled. It can be recycled, and uh, that elongates its uh, life's, uh, life life uh, further. But uh, unlike a material like rosewood, uh, plywood is not usually associated with value or beauty. So it's commonly used in like shuttering uh, for concrete. It's used in making temporary structures or in, you know, it's hidden in interior design. You end up kind of flatting it with other materials or painting it or something. So yeah. if you want to add, longer term value uh, to plywood, especially to waste plywood. Uh, you you know, you want to try to make products which have some sort of an implicit beauty, uh, along with say the utility, and that kind of makes it more sustainable in a way. You know, it expands its uh, lifespan. And you know, taking that thought forward, I feel like this idea of aesthetic or beauty, it sort of becomes a kind of survival mechanism or a sustainability mechanism for the material. In a way, you know, by fashioning these uh, products and it sort of encourages this, uh, you know, stewardship or or it creates a value system where you want to repair this object because it's beautiful. You want to take care of it and elongate its life, Uh, you know, almost like you're creating an heirloom out of uh, waste material. So that I think is a nice way to, uh, you know, give uh, uh, long term value to a material. And it's sort of been the brief for the recycle uh, plywood projects as uh, project as
0: well. Mm. And when you say beauty, do you mean just? I have two questions actually. Uh, just like double clicking on it. i shouldn't like When have you said say, beauty, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. When when you when you say beauty, in my mind it comes to like just applying a good veneer on top of plywood is that what you're pointing to or just <laughs> like exposing the material and still sort of making uh, or trying uh, trying to give it an aesthetic sort of outlook or or yeah just adding beauty as you said
1: so it's interesting uh, we recently kind of we uh, uh, we exhibited at in Paroda at raw and what was interesting was some of the reactions which we had not like I, I wasn't aware have a lot of Uh, people designers and non-designers they were very surprised uh, to uh, understand the provenance of the products that we had displayed Uh, the the plywood products that we had kind of put up they were not not able to understand that this was plywood Uh, because like like you're saying like plywood is not usually associated we normally would put a veneer on it or you would not kind of see it correct so that so the idea has been, and I, I feel we have sort of succeeded in some way. Uh, I hope we have succeeded in some way in kind of making it beautiful by revealing that grain of plywood. And that comes from yeah. the specific way in which plywood is made. And so it's it's about kind of creating some intrigue and some beauty. And even, of course, your products have to be functional. They need to look beautiful as well. But the material kind of really aids in that. And if you can understand the material and... Uh, the processes, uh, then it, I think it adds to making adding to the beauty or the aesthetic uh, of the product. And you want to take care of it. You don't want to just, like you said, like with the bed, you don't want to just, uh, I don't know if it's going bad, the bed, or it's just you, you know, you're done with it by the time you move to the next apartment. So, Correct.
0: Uh, interesting. So, Sagiri, like and the double click, the second question which I was thinking is that. How do you give shape uh, or or like what's the story behind liquid plywood? I mean, uh, you briefly spoke about it, but to me, I had long time ago, again, uh, no more, but Aziz Kachwala, we also spoke about playing with materials, turning the wood. So how, like what happens exactly? Like I can imagine it iron, you're turning it and molding it with heat and stuff. Can you like very quickly sort of share like what's the liquid plywood or how does it come to be or what happens and why do you even call it liquid plywood?
1: The liquid plywood, it because I feel like it looks quite fluid what happens to the, uh, the grains of uh, plywood uh, when you turn it uh, on a lathe. So, we use a lathe machine right now or uh, mostly we use a lathe machine. We also do some uh, hand routing and hand carving. So, uh, so I, I'll just uh, rewind a little bit. So, we were kind of inspired by these products that I had seen made out of uh, recycled skateboard plywood uh, in which they use these, uh, the skateboard plywood has colored uh, veneers in it and uh, there were these kind of small beautiful products uh, that we saw and we were kind of inspired uh, by those and we sort of took the these small pieces of ply. Uh, normally, the waste from sites is these thin strips that you get of different thicknesses and sizes uh wow. and we started to glue them together uh but in a conscious way because the way the ply is formed right i was explaining about the uh, the cross graining uh, so you get these kind of dark light dark light uh, uh patterns uh on the cross section of the ply and then how you assemble those uh, that geometry kind of uh, will uh, create a certain uh, pattern when you turn it on the lathe or you uh, process it on a CNC router or you carve it. Um, so so that is mainly the process of understanding how that grain will behave uh, when you start to apply. So we're kind of creating a new monolithic material of uh, from the waste that we are getting and then processing it. And a lot of, of course, experiments and iterations uh, were done to understand how that that behavior will be. And uh, uh, the sizes, like I mentioned, of these scraps will determine uh, how are we going to assemble it. Um, And we've looked at from small, what has been exciting is to kind of understand this new monolithic material and try to then make small objects. We're trying to make this like a small doll right now that I'm quite excited about to something as big as we made a standing uh, table recently uh, for a wine shop. So you know, that those different scales with the same material, but you need to kind of uh, tweak it uh, based on what you're making and what you're, what waste you're getting as well. Um, so each object is designed quite uh, carefully. And, and for us, like, it's, it's become like a celebration of uh, the anatomy of uh, plywood, uh, which is usually hidden, uh, like, you know, we've been saying. Um, mm. So it, it sort of reveals that uh, cross-section. Um, it's also kind of celebration of waste, right? Of the afterlife of of material and that satisfaction that you get from creating something which is functional, but it's still like inventive, right? Uh, by utilizing these.
0: Got it. I'll I'll ask a very naive question, but when you said that you put it on like a lathe machine or something, does
1: uh-huh.
0: does like a does like this compressed plywood or whatever the plywood is it that Ductile or yeah. or is it like malleable? How does it sort of? Is it always shaved or it's it it changes a little bit? Uh, it can hold a serve so, or something like that. I don't know whether it's a it, valid question. Also, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's 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 harder than wood uh, hmm. to to work on the lathe. Harder than some woods, like it. Uh, but it it works like wood only. And because we did, uh, we did ply the acrylic with the plywood. Uh, So the acrylic and the plywood together also as a single monolith can be turned on the same machine and the same tools. We managed it to Mm. some degree. The only problem we were having was that the acrylic and the ply after turning, it would keep on separating because of the smoothness. So we realized that we need to kind of, you know, reinforce that joint in uh, some way. So it's a malleable material on a fast-moving lathe machine and a craftsman is required uh, to kind of uh, shape it then. And uh, with a lathe, like with a potter's wheel, right, like you get uh, symmetrical objects, uh, symmetrical uh, along a single axis. Uh, But then you can further carve it. So you can really, based on what what kind of object you want, it's like a solid material. It's like a new block of wood, basically.
0: And you can mm. then process it the way you want to. Uh, and, and I padega. studio <laughs> and and like this last two questions, ek, um, how like more of more of a application or how is the outcome helping? How how like these experiments definitely it, it takes you to a very micro level, but at a macro level. Uh, any examples of how these explorations are helping you in your commercial projects?
1: Uh, so, I mean, like I mentioned, the architecture uh, practice and the material lab are kind of functioning in tandem with each other. I and mean, that's been the case and with that studio workshop set up and they sort mm. of inform each other. So the materials that we are using in a larger practice, are they are being experimented in the lab. And the products that we are making they in the lab, they find a place in the projects as well. But in a few projects that we've done, uh, there has been a like a nice sense of satisfaction because the waste that was generated in that project uh, was reassembled and made into products and furniture, uh, particularly for that same project, right? So it, it was really like creating a closed loop where we put the waste from the site back into the site as a finished uh, pro- uh, product. And because we were doing this with the, reci- with the plywood, we ended up kind of doing it with other materials as well, like broken pieces of stone and tile and wood. And we made like products and accessories and put it back on the site because that ethos was then pervading the project in a general. So in that sense, it's, uh, you know, it's it's been a nice kind of... Uh, process we are kind of keen to engage with the waste. Uh, you know it's made us very aware uh, of those materials and how they are being used. And uh, and I feel that that focus and detailing that we have you know we uh, that is required to make these products in the lab, it's sort of created a sensitivity uh, towards materials in general. So we are much, much more conscious like, like well, I mean, I'm repeating myself, but like, we become much more conscious of what materials and you know how we are using. Them. So mm. that that way it's been, you know, and we are hoping to scale up with the products themselves. We are hoping, uh, you know that uh, there will be a demand for it, and you know, start sourcing uh, plywood from other, uh, other sources as well, and not just rely on our sites uh to sort of create networks where we can collect waste uh, plywood from other uh, sites and other uh, fabricators um, you know to kind of scale up the whole uh, project itself
0: So what's the future of materials? I mean yes you'll be very optimistic about plywood but generally uh, which material do you think will dominate in the market and we can be bold to think of 50, 100 years out uh, we see a lot of sustainability brands i think i had w- seen one talk somewhere where i forgot the name of the speaker but she was talking about bringing more aesthetics to waste or upcycled materials because generally we see them in in a more rugged or whatever a, a, a little it has a different texture to it and it doesn't give that royal or elite feeling of things and so she was exploring on that front but yeah sustainability brands are also mushrooming do you think they will scale what's the future of good materials any thoughts or you guys have pondered upon it
1: uh i mean from this whole conversation and from what we're kind of been doing in in the in rock paper scissors also i feel that the future of uh, materials lies in I think waste like you're just like you were also saying like uh, you know sort of treating waste as a resource uh, and in a way like reclaiming materials from waste waste and this is already a very positive uh, trend I think which is uh, you know most designers are kind of buying into it a lot of makers and even brands so I mean this seems to be the obvious uh, way to move forward because there's been an overconsumption of resources and your traditional raw materials are like uh, they're getting uh, exhausted and they become expensive uh, and in a way almost unethical to use in some cases right so uh, waste is 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 everywhere it's inexpensive uh, there's a continuous supply of it uh, mm-hmm. and f- and for me personally also i feel like it's been very it's been it's an exciting material because it it requires a certain innovation like uh, and experiment uh, and now I'm I'm seeing that even collaboration, like when we go in, go to sourcing a waste, uh, uh, when we need more plywood, when we need more raw material, uh, in our case, we we'll, we need to kind of collaborate with other practices, uh, makers, etc. to kind of source it. Uh, so it it kind of this this opportunity to create something uh, you know beautiful, which is uh, made from something which is unappealing or discarded. I think it's highly satisfying. And the satisfaction mm-hmm. is very different from making something out of a virgin material. So, I think the future of materials, I think, would definitely be in in like looking at waste uh, as a resource. And for my practice, I'm 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 really kind of excited uh, to kind of look at a sort of grammar of collaboration again. Uh, and like I was mentioning in the sourcing of material and and the making of it. So. I'm hoping to, we've started this already, but you know, connect with other, uh, uh, even like larger plywood manufacturers or uh, architects and designers and contractors to start collecting the waste from them uh, and then, you know, in larger quantities and see how we can uh, process it. And this is a, this kind of method of uh, sourcing or extracting the raw material. I think I'm quite excited to see see where it goes. It's, it's almost it's like like a social way of uh, getting your raw material, and I'm hoping it will help to create uh, you know new relationship uh, with with designers and makers. We tend to function in bubbles, hmm. so I, I'm excited uh, about this. And in general, I think it's it's about reducing the overall footprint of our design practice. Um,
0: that should be the future of my day. <laughs> yes. Awesome, awesome. More power to you. And I think recently, even Modi, uh, PM Modi, wore uh, a shirt or whatever, like some dress, which was completely made from recycled thing. In And that was in the news. I think few okay. big people doing something like this will hopefully transpire to masses and people will start knowing about it more. Uh, cool. I think on this note uh, we can conclude this. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Sagarika, for giving your time. It was wonderful chatting with you. Got to learn a lot of uh, stuff. By the way, you didn't spoke about rock. I could. I can sense scissors <laughs> and paper. <laughs> Is uh, what any any fun backstory of rock paper scissors? How the name came to be, or it was just.
1: No, I think it's uh, it's an appropriate name. Uh, I mean, I, I have uh, because you know it's 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 fun, right? It's a game, but the mm. game is about material properties, right? Like what material trumps another material. It's related to how the material, like how rock, uh, you know, uh, uh, paper and scissors behave with respect to each other. So in that sense. And the permutation combinations that are possible. So in that sense, it's uh plus, I mean, it's, it's catchy for
0: branding.
1: Cool.
0: So, yeah, Yeah, cool. So all the best and thanks a lot. It was great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. This has
1: been
0: fun. All right. Thanks. That's it. And that's it from today's Gan session. For show notes and more GAN, visit audiogan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at AudioGAN Moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.